I'm Ben Klunt. And I'm Stephen Brown. In 2019, we started this podcast as an accountability tool for our health and our business goals. Through our discussions, interviews, and sharing of our successes and difficulties, we've learned we have a passion for leadership. In 2020, we're striving to grow our own leadership abilities by focusing on learning from great leaders in business and life, and continue to share our successes and struggles on this journey. We'll continue to have raw and candid conversations while sharing our own insights and experiences with our goal being to grow as leaders and as people. You're You're listening listening to Ordinary to Extraordinary. started. Thank you guys for tuning in to Ordinary to Extraordinary, our podcast. Uh, on with us today, we're interviewing and chatting with Jason Swain of Symbio. I'll let him explain that name a little bit here after, but uh, I've known Jason for years now, but it's been also years since I've seen him and got to chat with him. So I remember a coffee shop uh, here. We think we were at Atticus, I believe. I think time. that's right. We we're sitting in the corner. It's like yeah. every time I chat with you, I, I, I love the conversations. I'm a little bummed that it's been years that we've chatted, actually. Yeah. But it's, it's cool to see you back on the camera here. So why don't you explain, uh, if you would, a little bit behind the name of Symbio and then kind of what you are doing uh, with, okay. your, your, with your company. Nice. Well, you know, it's quite an honor uh, and flattered that you guys reached out to me. I love the title, Ordinary to Extraordinary. Um, and I've kind of seen what you guys are up to, and that's pretty cool. So I, it's, uh, it's exciting to see if I can add to that. So Symbio, actually, the name, uh, I have uh, your parents' firm to thank for it, uh, Clint Hosmer. Uh, so Symbio is a play off the word symbiotic, which stands for having an interdependent relationship. And what I do, uh, what I've been kind of solely focused on for the past 20 plus years, is helping people put human nature to work. That's how I kind of describe the mission or purpose of Symbio. And what I mean by that is human beings have a deep need for community and belonging. And um, so when you can get that right kind of environment that's aligned with how people are sort of naturally inclined to perform and relate, um, and you can have that at work, people can accomplish amazing things. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you get the environment wrong, uh, people begin to protect themselves and look out for their own best interests. And I... Unfortunately, I think most organizations haven't quite figured out how to get it right, which is why I get to make a living. So um, I help leaders create an environment at work that's really aligned with how people are naturally inclined to perform and relate. Um, And so that's where the word symbio comes from. And we stopped short on bio, symbio, because again, people are kind of biologically wired this way. Um, And so uh, that's in a nutshell, um, kind of what I'm very deeply passionate about doing. How do you get into that? I mean, what's your background? Uh, Well, I'd like to start helping organizations with their culture and get yeah, because there's some psychology to it with your stuff, I think as well. I suppose. I mean, I have an undergrad degree in psychology, and that's that. That that's actually a great segue into my long story. I guess we got time for the long version of this. When I was really young, I tell the story often, um, one thing my dad said to my two siblings and I often when we were little was, 
you know, the secret to, secret to a happy life is figuring out what you most love to do and then fully committing yourself to that. And if you can do that, you'll be happy and fulfilled and the money will follow. And so I just thought everybody knew that. Dad said that. So I thought, well, that just must, everybody must just know this. So I kind of set out to find out, well, what do I most love to do? And when I was in junior high school um, or middle school, as my daughter tells me is now called, um, I knew from middle school through the day I graduated college that I wanted to be a family therapist or child psychologist. And the reason for that was my parents were great. And I had this great home life where I felt loved and accepted and all that. It, when I started hanging out with my friends, you know, getting old enough to go to people's houses and spend the night, I got to see that not everybody's parents were as good as mine and not everybody was as happy. And so I thought, well, I just wanted, I realized how fortunate I am. So I want to teach other people how to have families like I was blessed to have. Um, then I graduated college and started doing that work. And about five minutes later, I realized I can't do this. <laughs> this is too sad and depressing and difficult and hard and people don't want to change. And so I was completely lost. And so um, I still wanted to... A new appreciation help. for your folks then probably. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So I was rudderless and lost. I still wanted to help people in some way, but therapy and counseling, I just knew wasn't it. So I, uh, I decided to go to Japan and teach English, of course. Um, I just wanted to just to go challenge myself and experience life. And when I was there, um, I was teaching English. And when I would begin teaching, something happened. Um, every time I would go up and be introduced and I would start speaking and teaching, something took over. And I just felt more comfortable in my own skin and um, sharper when I was teaching. So I discovered this love of teaching. But what I also discovered is I don't ever want to work with junior high school students or middle school students in any culture ever again. <laughs> and the problem was none of them wanted to learn English. So well, I left that. Yeah. So I, I'm starting to piece together my thing. Like I want to help people in some way and I want to teach but I haven't found the subject matter and I haven't found the right people yet. So I came back to the States and was kind of floundering around and trying to figure out life. And I got a call from a, a childhood friend's father and he was a senior executive at a big uh, auto parts manufacturing company. And he said, I've been trying to find you. And he goes, I, I would like you to come work for me and be a supervisor in our factory. And I was like, no, <laughs> like, why would I want to do that? You know, and so I wasn't making any money and I didn't know what to do with my life. And I, he told me how much they would pay me. And I said, okay, well, when's the interview? So I went there and uh, I moved from Boston to Dayton, Ohio. No offense to people from Dayton, but I, I uh, you know, Boston's this really fun city. And I moved to Dayton, Ohio to work in a factory as a supervisor. Oh. This is after two years of teaching English in Japan, right? What I discovered at that job is I, I was somehow really good at leading other people and creating uh, an environment uh, where people felt trusted and empowered and uh, began to communicate and open up. And, and this is why this guy had sought me out. He was trying to shift the culture from this command, control, fear-based thing to um, this environment where people felt empowered and a sense of belonging and so forth. And so he was this mentor to me and he just thought I would be good at this. And I took to it like a duck to water but like all my other experiences, there were things about it that I discovered I didn't like. 
um, I didn't care about auto parts. <laughs> and this was a, a union shop and there was a lot of unhealthy tension between management and uh, employees and people didn't like me merely because my badge said manager. So I didn't have a lot of passion for the work, but I discovered a passion for leadership and working with teams. So finally I went to the him and the leadership and I said, Hey, thanks for this great opportunity. This is about a year in and I, I wasn't going to be beaten by that job. So I, 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 I figured I'll, I'll do this job until I feel like I've done a good job and, and my team's working well. So finally I go to them. And I said, you know, I'm out. This is, this just isn't for me. And they said, well, before you go, what if we put you in a position where you could teach other people how to create the kind of team and lead the way that you have led? Like, and I oh, didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that was a thing. Um, and so I was like, that, that sounds fantastic. I have no idea how to do that. So they hired a consultant to come in and I shadowed him for about six months. And it's one of those experiences that I hope you guys have had an experience like this when you see somebody else do something and you go, I don't know how or why, but I could do that. And in fact, I'm going to be better than this guy. <laughs> and he just had a bunch of content knowledge, you know, around all the things that I now teach. And I had none of the content knowledge. I just discovered that I had the aptitude. So I could watch him and I could be like, his content's good, but he thinks he's funny and he's not. And he just offended that person and his story was terrible. And I'm thinking I could tell a better story there and I could better bring that to life. And I could show that person how to do that. And I could connect with that person better than he is. I just need to get his content down. And you know what? It all came together. Like, I've never looked back. And so once he was out of the picture and I got to take over, I've never tired of studying this stuff and learning about it and adding tools to my toolkit. And it's truly what my dad said. <laughs> 20 years later, like I can't imagine doing anything else because I never tire of this. And so I love adding new tools to my toolkit. And then I think my skill is bringing those things to life and helping other people uh, apply them to their lives. So I guess I think of learning not as learning new information. It's you've learned once you can do something you couldn't do before. And so my whole goal is go into an organization and help leaders actually take these concepts and bring them to life and implement into their teams to the point where their cultures actually shift. And, you know, my greatest thrill is when I take a whole company and shift that culture from a fear-based top-down command and control to it feels more like a community of belonging. And now people trust each other and they're working together and they're accomplishing amazing things together. There's a few things I would jump in on there. Um, Good luck, because I'll just keep going, so. <laughs> yeah, the, the whole concept of leadership, I think, so the first thing I would jump in on is, I think when I was 15, 16, the very first job I had was McDonald's. And I saw, mm. I don't know if you guys have ever worked in a place like that, but they've got a process for everything. Like literally mm. they've got a tool and a process for everything. So if you're putting a hamburger or a cheeseburger together, you put things mm. on, you wrap it a certain way, you put it in the bin, you, or, or you put it out there where they, it's only supposed to stay there for a certain amount of time, everything. Mm. But they, the reason they do that, and I don't want to shit on people that work at McDonald's, but they're not hiring high quality people. So they have to have the processes to where it's robotic. Right. And mm -hmm. I used to speak to the management at McDonald's when I worked there and tell them, Hey, I've got this, I've got that. I've got like, I think we could do this. And they wouldn't listen because it was it, to your point. It was fear top down. It was, they weren't, 
they were managers, they weren't leaders, right? And then mm -hmm. we've, we've talked about that before, Ben. The other mm -hmm. thing I would jump in on is you're talking about learning. And I'm a mm -hmm. big proponent for non-traditional education. I think mm. people spend a lot of money going in and if you've, I don't know if you've got an MBA, I know you worked in the, the education field for a while there as an adjunct mm -hmm. professor. I'm not necessarily the biggest proponent for traditional education. I'm more, mm -hmm. hey, go and seek out the best speakers, seek out the people that can teach you about leadership, teach you about how to do things in a different way as opposed to going and getting a piece of paper that said that you studied for two years, four years, whatever it is. And love it. love that you're doing that. I love that you're out there actually teaching people to lead as opposed to here's a piece of paper saying you can lead, you know? Yeah. That's so funny. Those, those words that you just ended on. I, so when I, I worked at Gonzaga, when I first moved here, my wife's from here. So we moved here to start our family and I didn't know anything about this place called Spokane and I didn't know that I wanted to live here. And so I just thought I would move here and I would start uh, my own business. But you guys know Spokane is like the, the biggest small town in the world. So when no one knew who I was, I, it took me years to get any clients. So I took a job at Gonzaga in HR as the leadership and organization development manager. And um, because I worked there, I could get a free education. So I started going to grad school and started getting the uh, leadership and organization development. Or no, leadership and master's in organizational leadership. Yeah. And I'm not, I, it's a great program. I, I, I loved it. Uh, the, but, but the reason I stopped, uh, I didn't finish it. And, and it was because I was going to earn a piece of paper that said, I know how to do what I already know how to do. <laughs> and, and I, I had kids and I was starting a business and I had a full-time job. And so I would have been happy to get it, but I just felt like I didn't need it. And it, it hasn't harmed me. I, I don't lose clients because I don't have an MBA or a master's yeah. degree. Um, so yeah, I agree with you hundred percent that, um, higher education is great. It, it's just, I don't define learning until I've helped you gain a competence that you didn't have before. And an analogy I often use is you know, I've been playing tennis for 30 years. So, um, I could teach you how to hit a really good forehand. I could stand and tell you how to do it in about a minute, all the forms and how you stand, but that doesn't mean you're going to walk out on a court and hit one. You know, in order to teach you how to hit a really good forehand, I'm going to have to spend some time with you feeding you a bunch of balls and fine tuning your form until that becomes the way you swing your racket. And then you don't need me anymore. And that's the essence of my philosophy is what I'm going to teach you a leader. Yeah, go ahead, Ben. I was just saying you're helping them build their muscle memory. Yeah. Until they don't. Yeah. Until it becomes the way they lead, until it becomes the way they communicate, until it becomes the way their organization uh, operates, then I'm out. And, and if you become dependent upon me, I'm, I'm doing you a disservice. Mm -hmm. It seems that a lot of business owners that are out there, which I'm assuming you work with a lot of business owners. So that's an assumption mm -hmm. I'm with this statement, mm -hmm. want their staff to feel empowered, want people to step up and hit the ball, you know, step to the plate and hit the ball. But then a lot of the time don't create a culture that is conducive to that. So there's just this ever, you know, this circle that just keeps coming back around to frustration, you know, yep. So yeah. in your videos online, you talk about getting the culture right, right? So is there yeah. a process that you follow to help identify the culture? I mean, how does yes. that all work? Yeah, yeah. So um, the simplest definition of culture in my mind is it's how a group of people collectively agree to think and act. So mm -hmm. people think and act differently in Japan than they do in the United States. Mm -hmm. People think and act differently at Washington Trust Bank than they do at Inland Imaging. People will think and act differently within HR at Washington Trust or Inland Imaging than they do in 
finance and marketing. So every little subculture kind of is its own thing. It's how that group of people think and act. And so when I go to an organization of any size or a team of any size, that's what I'm looking for. How do these people think and act? Um, and if I could shift that, the way they think and act, then that's going to shift their culture. And that's how you intentionally create culture. Um, all cultures, I think, are built first and foremost on having shared values. So um, years ago, I created this process to discover what an organization's core authentic values already are, because they are. If you've been around for a while, uh, you already have culture. You already think and act a certain way. You just don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. So my job is to go in and really discover what that already is. Um, so it's a retroactive look back over time. And you know, I did this with your parents' firm, and I've done this with a lot of the <laughs> big companies around Spokane. Is um, yeah. I go to them and I say, okay, to the senior leadership team, give me seven to ten people that represent every level and area of your organization. But these people have to be seven to 10 people that all of you on the leadership team unanimously agree with. And these are the people that you all agree are like the superstars of your company, the people you wouldn't want to lose. You don't want this group of people I'm going to work with to just be anybody. You want it to be like the cream of the crop, people that you, you, you think really embody the culture of this place. I get them together for about four hours and I ask them a whole bunch of questions and get them to tell me stories about um, why are you here? What keeps you here? What was your greatest day on the job? What, what's an experience you had that made you most proud to be here? And what happened and who was involved? And every time I've done this, there's, there, there comes a point where there's not a dry eye in the room, including my own. And it doesn't matter what the company is, doesn't matter what they do. You give me the right group of people and through their stories, they will tap into something that really connects with them and keeps them there and that's meaningful to them. And so I just let them all cry and have a a love fest. My job is to listen with a dispassionate ear for what are the values that are driving them to behave these ways? And inevitably, when you give me seven to 10 people, when that process is done, I'll tease out, it's always between three and five shared values they all have. And and those become the core values of this company. And so my I, I go home and I spend a ridiculous amount of time combing through all that data and coming up with these short phrases and sentences that really um, boil all that down to behavioral uh, values. And then I get back together with them and I share them. And if I've done my job right, it's always amazing. It's, it's, it's like their jaws drop and it's like they're looking in the mirror and they're like, that's exactly who we are. And it's almost, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I can't think of it, but, but, but it's almost like they're like, well, duh, <laughs> but they've never been able to put their finger on it. So, yeah. you know, a lot of, co- every company has values. They, they have a list of uh, words on the wall that was created 20 years ago by some senior executives. And it means nothing to know every, anybody. And it means something different to everybody. And it creates more cynicism than anything because everybody defines those words differently. Um, but when you really can name it and describe it behaviorally and people go, oh yeah, that's who we are and that's how we do things. That's the big, this is a very long answer to your question. How do you, how do you create culture? Well, it starts with shared values. And once you've defined those, now every single thing you do must flow from those. How you treat each other, how you treat customers, what your products are like, your services and so forth, all your HR policies and procedures, all those things must be uh, guided and informed by those values. And so 
the analogy, and again, I'll keep talking if you guys let me. Um, the analogy I use, here's how I think most people experience organizations. It's like a group of people lost deep in the woods at night. It's, it's dark, it's cold, we're hungry, supplies are limited, there's, there's animals out there, we're all scared. And everybody wants one thing. Everybody wants to get out of the woods. Um, if you had no sense of direction, it's anybody's best guess which way to go. So Ben may think, I think we need to go down through this valley over here. And Stephen's like, Ben, I think you're crazy. I think we should climb that hill off in the distance. And I'm like, I think you're both nuts. I think we need to follow the stream. If we were in that environment, pretty soon, you know, Ben's going to take some of our apples and blankets and water and go in his direction. And Stephen's going to be like, what are you doing taking our stuff? And he's going to try to fight him and go in his direction and so forth. I think that's what most organizational life is like. Mm-hmm. When you can define your core values, it's kind of like identifying a guiding star in the sky and saying, we don't know how far we have to go and we don't know what all we're going to come across. But we do know that if we follow that star right there, we'll get to the nearest town. Now everything becomes infinitely easier. We could stand shoulder to shoulder. We could all point at that star, trace our finger and pick a point on the horizon and say, the first place is the top of that hill over there. Now every step we take and every suggestion we make and everything we do is done for the sake of the three of us or however big our group is, is getting to the top of that hill. So the, the star is kind of like your, your, your guiding principles, your values and your purpose. It's, it's, you're never going to get there. Just like you're never going to walk up and stand on a star. It's a point of reference. Um, the hill you're climbing is like your strategy. What are we going to do next? Like what's the next big thing we have to accomplish together? And that's step one to creating a culture of, community of belonging and trust because I know we're all here for the same reason and I know we're all going to the same place. Now I begin to trust you because I know you're going to the same place I am. Mm. Unfortunately, thanks. Unfortunately, whenever people don't have that, they assume everybody believes the same thing. So when you're fighting against me and pulling in a different direction, I'm like, why are you, why are you intentionally messing this up? Why are you sabotaging our success? Why are you incompetent? Why are you, selfish right um it's because unbeknownst to each other we don't we're not following the same guiding star mm-hmm. and so this is where i'm not a therapist and therapy wasn't my thing I, I don't go in and help you improve your relationships by helping you talk to each other in that way and, and do therapy i say let's discover who you are and why you're here and align everything to that okay. then when so- you take a bunch of hard-working well-intentioned people and they know they're aligned then they'll start working together so with that, I think the, the theory is impeccable. I think where a lot of leadership um, trainers, consultants, thought leaders fall down, and I'm, I'm pretty critical of like uh, John C. Maxwell, right? People put him on their absolute must-read books and they quote him, and I think he's highly quotable. But I think most of what he talks about, it's like, okay, so where, where's the application? Jinx is just sitting over there smiling. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is going to be a fun thing. I can see already. I look at it and I think it's theory. It's, it's kind of like it's warm and fuzzy. It will make you feel good for an hour. But then you walk away from it and you go, yeah. how is that applicable in my daily life? So uh, when you go from the theory side of things to the application, let's, let's get in the weeds there. What, what's the process there and how much resistance do you come across? In your response to John C. Maxwell. <laughs> uh, well, just the title one minute manager is, is, you know, yeah. the, here, here's my analogy for that kind of stuff. It's that kind of stuff is like cotton candy is to nutrition. Like 
it's fun to eat it. It tastes good for a minute, but it doesn't have any staying power. You know, yeah. I want to feed you meat potatoes so it's going to stick to you and, and, and really, you know, make you healthy. And so that's, there's a place for that stuff. It's just, if it's that's all you do. Yeah. yeah. So Stephen, you're, yeah, Stephen, you're giving me a chance to tell one of my favorite stories here to, to answer your question. <laughs> um, I think it was in 2014, I, I got a phone call from a local company head of HR said, Hey, I hear you're the guy to call. Um, will you come to our all or all employee annual retreat and do a motivational speech? Uh, and I said, no. <laughs> She's like, what? She's like, what do you mean? No. I said, motivational don't pay, speeches. Yeah. I said, don't pay anybody on this planet a large sum of money to come and talk to your company for an hour. Nothing's going to change. And in fact, if I came in and I did that, I promise you I do more harm than good because I'm going to talk about all the things that should be and how organizations should work. And everybody's going to nod their head and then they're going to look at your CEO and go, but we're not doing those things. Right. And I'm not going to equip you with doing. So it's, it's only going to create more cynicism and resentment and distrust. And she's like, oh my God, you're right. And I said, so why are you calling me? Like, like what were you hoping I could accomplish in that hour? And she said, well, you know, we have deep silos and people don't trust each other and we don't communicate very well. And there's a lot of distrust. And I was like, okay, no one can solve that for you in an hour. <laughs> so I can solve all those. I can help you solve all those things for yourself, but it's, it's not going to be done in an hour. If you truly want to make an investment in this, it's going to take time. Um, and, and I'm going to be in your orbit for a while. And she said, well, you're going to have to talk to my boss. I'm like, okay. So I get on the phone with her boss a day later and uh, she's like, oh my God, you're right. But you're going to have to talk to my boss. Okay. <laughs> and the next day they're like, well, you're gonna have to talk to the owners. Okay. So I go and I talk to the owners and they said, all right, let's do this. So, um, I'm still working with that company. <laughs> so that's six years later. And, th and they're not dependent upon me. We, we, we did my big process and I was in their orbit for about, you know, 18 months. And now they bring me in periodically just to sort of do refreshes and reset new visions and so forth. But what's that? It's like a checkup. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so I think I'm answering your question, Stephen, is yeah. uh, the nitty gritty how to do it. You know, I told you the first step is that, that core values process. Um, the other thing is the senior leadership team has to be aligned. So I'll spend probably a couple months working with just the senior leaders. I'll interview all of them individually and confidentially. Um, I'll learn all their misperceptions of each other and whether, you know, not getting along, all that sort of stuff. And then I get together with them and I will hold up the mirror and reflect back at them um, what's going well and what's not. And I will engage them in fruitful productive conversations around all those things and putting solutions in place. And, and they have all the answers within them. They just need someone who reflects it back at them in a safe, productive way. And I teach them how to talk to each other in ways that aren't assassinating each other's characters, but are understanding each other better because silos start at the senior table. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times leaders say, can you help us break silos down? And I, and I chuckle and I say, well, I have good news and bad news. The, the good, the bad news is that the silos start at your table. <laughs> the good news is we can bring it down at your table because like if Steven and I are both members of the senior leadership team and we're not aligned and we walk out of our senior leadership meeting and I interpreted what the priorities are and what we're supposed to be doing. I go back and I tell my team, all right, guys, here's what's going on. Here's the priorities. And Steven goes and tells his department something slightly different unbeknownst to each other we've just set our teams up for failure because my team's going to look at your team and go what's wrong with those clowns over there and your team's going to look at my team and be like why are they doing it wrong 
So at the senior level, you don't get the luxury of agreeing to disagree to keep the peace. You have to learn how to um, respectfully and productively hash it out and reach alignment, which isn't always agreement, but you have to align so that when I go to tell my team what's going on, I'm saying the same thing Stephen's saying. Even if I privately disagreed with it, I had a chance to say my piece and we had to say, no, we're climbing this hill. And that's one of the most important things. Um, yeah, and I could keep going. And there, there, I mean, there's, I can yeah. go all day. I have just a quick question, Stephen, and then you'll, I know yours is probably longer than mine. Just, you've been working with some of these people for six years. It's like, have you seen a decrease in turnover, employee turnover? Do you measure that? Yeah. Type of yeah, there's one. Uh, yeah, well, one thing I'll tell you, this is one of my favorite things to tell people, is if you do what I'm describing, you will experience about 4% voluntary turnover. And I always say there's no extra charge for that. That's a because, good thing. <laughs> because if you get really, really clear on your values and your purpose and what you're doing, cool. now people if you find there are people who just don't align with that and aren't willing to do it, now you can find them and it'll be obvious who they are and, and peer pressure takes over because there'll be people who are like, Oh my God, this is exactly who we are. And they'll get really upset when people who don't behave that way. And then you'll have people who will go, yeah, this isn't me. And that's fine. And that they aren't bad people. They're mm -hmm. just, they don't share your values. And so mm -hmm. they'll, they have an opportunity to go find an organization where they fit. So the danger is you'll have people who should leave, but won't. That's the people you got to deal with. And if you don't deal with those people, it'll kill everything. So let's say, um, you know, Stephen and I are all in. We drank the Kool-Aid and we're living the values, but Ben's not. And, and the manager of ours doesn't say anything to Ben, you know, and doesn't hold Ben accountable. Stephen and I are going to get really cynical and resentful and distrustful. And we're like, well, if Ben doesn't have to do it, why do I? Mm -hmm. um, so I teach people, how do you have those conversations? How do you hold Ben accountable in a way that you're not saying, Ben, you're a bad guy. You're saying, Ben, this is who we are. This is how we do things. Here's what I'm seeing in you. This is what I need to see in you. And you coach and you encourage and you guide Ben until he either does it or doesn't. And if he doesn't, it's either he can't or he won't. If he can't, you can usually help him by giving him the training and skills and guidance and so forth to do it. If he won't, you have to let him go. Yeah. And that's the hard part. But the companies that do that and take it seriously and have several who have really done it, um, then you have a lot less turnover and a lot more productivity and, and culture goes to the roof and morale goes to the roof. Yeah, totally. Made sense. I should have yeah. known it wouldn't be a short answer. Sorry, Stephen. I had to poke you a little. Yeah. When I, when I went and talked to Whitworth, to the department of Whitworth, I talked to, and I was, I was basically talking to them about sales, Jason. And, and the lady, who's lovely lady that brought me in, um, I took a similar approach to you when she asked if I would speak. And I said, okay, you got to know what you're asking for here. Like, I'm happy mm. to come in. And it was a retreat. So I spent oh, like three, four hours with them eventually. Mm. Um, mm. I said, I'm going to ask some difficult questions. And some of the things I'm going to ask initially, because in order for people to do what you want them to do, they first have to believe that they are what you're asking them to be, right? Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. long story short, this, this was the department that reaches out to students and tries to get them to accept the offers that they've got. Mm -hmm. So it's financial mm -hmm. aid and they're calling and I didn't realize that they were essentially the salespeople for a university, right? So they have mm -hmm. the hour and a half long calls scheduled. They have to figure out where they're at in their process, what other schools are looking at. 
but none of them thought of themselves as salespeople. They actually were offended by the fact that I was approaching them and saying, hey, you're in sales. So we had to break it all down. And I said, I'm going to ask difficult questions and I'm going to make them believe they're salespeople. And then we might teach them some sales techniques because once they nice. believe they're salespeople, so it's similar to what you asked there, like, hey, what do you think you can accomplish in an hour and what do you want to accomplish, right? Yeah. And that's the important question. The second thing I was going to say is if you ever want to get out of the game you're in and be in sales because you ask those kind of questions, I'll hire you. <laughs> you, you turned a one-time speaking gig in a six-year gig where you go back and see them. That's, that's yeah. a salesman right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's a, that's flattering and honoring, and I, I could probably say the same to you. I think you could do well in my uh, my line of work because I think the approach is it's Even just part-time gig. Yeah, there you go. Hey, yeah. yeah. Are you selling me right now? Is that what just happened? <laughs> just... Yeah. It's like step brothers. We just become best friends. <laughs> Uh, you guys nice. gonna get a bunk bed? Make bunk beds too? You know, yeah. space for that. Yeah. yeah, space for activities. <laughs> yeah, you know, one thing I want to work in here, and I don't, I don't mean this to be a shameless plug. I just, I just want to be clear on more <laughs> about what I do. Is I don't just do these big culture engagements. Um, that that's pretty few and far between that someone wants to sign on for something that big. Um, more of what I do is leadership uh, development and. Um, usually those leads ultimately get, lead to um, working with the whole company. But what most people are willing to do is have me come and work with leaders and managers. And I'm trying to help them apply all of these things to just their own teams and departments. And so I have this leadership program that it's, it's spread out over several months. And um, you will learn from me how to do all these things and then at the end, you will have done them so many times that your own little team and culture will have shifted um, because it's become the way you do things. And so, so often I do that. And, and those leaders and managers will start, their teams will start to be more healthy. And pretty soon the CEO is like, what are you doing? And then that often leads to those bigger engagements. But, you know, I don't ever expect most CEOs to sign on for a year and a half of work with me to shift your whole culture. I, I kind of have to prove myself to you. But, but I love that too. I love working with managers and coaching people uh, and helping them learn how to do these things. And, and you don't have to be, a, yeah. yeah, you don't have to be a CEO. You can be the leader of a small department and become a much more effective leader and really create a culture and community belonging within your own scope. That's cool. I like it. Yeah. So, online, you talk about on your website, I was watching a few of your videos and this just piqued my curiosity a little bit as far as there's one on the, the three essential motivators. Mm -hmm. You remember that video? You remember recording it? I don't remember it termed as motivators. Uh, are you talking about purpose, mastery, and autonomy, or are you talking about... Uh... There's a video on the three essential motivators, and I was going to ask you what they are <laughs> and describing them a little more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to... It's on your website, dude. Come on. Well, I, I'm trying to think of what I meant by motivators, because I know I talked about the three uh, like factors of, of, of what makes Symbio unique, but I'm not sure if that's what you're referring to. And three that... essential motivators. Can you, can you give me one and then I'll be like, oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I'll give you. When I'm working with managers, I often tell them need three things. They need purpose, mastery, and yeah, autonomy. Yeah, okay. Yeah, purpose, mastery, nah. autonomy. Okay. <laughs> and, and I, and I got to give credit where credit's due. I didn't come up with that. If you've read the book Drive by Daniel Pink, he, he came up with this. And he's got one of the most viewed videos online. It's, it's this, he's talking and there's someone feverishly animating everything he's saying. Got it. Uh, any, anyway, so purpose, mastery, and autonomy. So 
the credit goes to him. But, but basically, for people to feel motivated, they need those three things. And so the purpose goes back to, as I said, you got to have your values and your purpose. I, in other words, purpose is something bigger than myself, something that matters to me, something that I want to accomplish. So with companies, um, most companies have mission statements, and they're about a page long, and they say everything, and they're confusing. And they mean something different to everybody. So one of my first steps after the values is helping companies really nail the essence of their purpose. And I try to get it to one sentence, um, something that emotionally grabs people and defines why they do what they do. Um, so mine, as I said in the beginning, is helping people put human nature to work. One of my favorites is ALSE Architects. Are you guys familiar with them in town? Yeah. So they've built a lot of big, great yeah, buildings for them. Yeah. So uh, doing this process with them, we discovered their purpose is, this is my favorite, we bring our clients' stories to life. Mm -hmm. Now, there are- I think I heard Rustin say that, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so Rustin's the managing partner, and those were his words, but that came after like two like really long meetings, but those words came out, and it was like a lightning bolt went through the room. And so think about what that means. So what they mean by that is, if you go to ALSE Architects and you want them to build a building for you, they're going to really get to know you and who you are and what you need this building for. And, and, and they're going to build a, a building tailored to you to tell your story. And one of my favorite things about what they said about that was they can drive around town and look at other architects work and they can say, I know who built that building because all their buildings look the same. And they said, we don't build monuments to ourselves. We build buildings that tell other people's stories. So that's like this purpose that anybody who works for their company knows that's what I'm signing on for. And my job is to make sure that when I'm working with a client, they feel that they've had that experience. Um, uh, Numerica is uh, enhancing lives, fulfilling dreams and building communities. Now, I didn't create that one. I just happened to have a part-time job at Numerica, which I can tell you more about in a minute if you like. But um, it's a financial institution. But, yeah. And I have no business being in a financial. I don't even know how to do math very well. But sign me up for any organization that's here to enhance lives, fulfill dreams, yeah. and build communities, right? I'm yeah. all in. So there's purpose. That's like the guiding star, okay? So that's why we're here. The second thing is uh, autonomy. No one wants to be told what to do all day, every day. You know, if, if I'm signed up for this big purpose, I have interests and passions and background and knowledge, and I want to be able to bring those things. I want to bring some myself to this job. I don't want you managing me and telling me what to do all day, every day. Um, so if we've got this guiding star, I now get to bring myself and my ideas, and they're going to be heard and considered and listened to. Those alone aren't enough. You need the third thing, which is mastery. And that's a sense that we're making marked progress towards something. I need to see that we're making progress towards this thing we're working towards. Hmm. So here, here's an analogy for having uh, the first two, purpose and, and, and autonomy. Let's say you're floating aimlessly at sea. And you know that there's this guiding star up there that if you follow that star, you'll get to the next uh, landmass. And so every time you row, there's your autonomy. You're making progress, right? But if you don't see a little island way floating out, floating way out there, you don't know if you're making any progress. But yeah. once you see this little island, every time you row, it gets a little bit bigger. That shows you, hey, I'm making progress towards that. So yeah. when I'm a leader, whatever size project I'm working on, I want to make sure everybody knows why are we doing this? What's the purpose? And it doesn't have to be the company's purpose. It could be, why are we doing this project? Why are we working with this client? Then autonomy, everybody needs to know their own role and have their own ideas and, and suggestions 
uh, be considered, and then they need to measure progress towards that. Um, you have all three of those. You can pretty much do anything. <laughs> Just a random question that came up, but I mean, we talk about the millennial generation being one that mm -hmm. really has to know that whatever they're doing, like there's purpose to it. There's yeah. greater good going into the world. And it seems like the baby boomers, that's less so the need right they stick with somebody for 30 years they're loyal they'll make mm -hmm. the widget and go home mm -hmm. it's like do you see that in, in in the companies in which you're working with too i mean you've got diverse age groups um mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in the companies you're working with some of those that you named there too do you see amongst maybe some of the the older crowd that less of that uh clarity of purpose or desire for like true fulfillment um you see it they, in different them the, the, you know Older people are willing to put their nose to the grindstone and just work. Um, yeah. But the beauty of millennials coming in and saying, no, we need to define the purpose is when you do get that purpose, everybody responds to it. So the, the boomer will work really hard no matter what. But if you can then say, but let's tell you why we're doing this. We're yeah. bringing our client stories to life. We're enhancing lives, fulfilling dreams and building communities. They're going to be far more engaged. So no harm done. It, it's only going to do good. And it's only going to align people and let them know that, hey, we're all here for the same reason. And, and the other thing is, again, you might have some voluntary turnover. Somebody's like, well, that's not why I came here. I don't resonate with that at all. Great. Go find, go find your place. You know? I don't want to dance any lives. What the heck? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, um, that's so telling. I think turnover is important. And so many people want to say, hey, we've got 98% retention. And it's like, yeah, but what if 20% of that 98 is bad? Mm -hmm. What if only 78% of those people believe in what you're trying to do and you're mm -hmm. carrying 20% deadwood? I mean, and it's not always 20%, but, you know, I think people look at turnover as a bad thing and it can be an indicator of bad things if you're not able to retain people and you're not getting mm -hmm. the job done. But yeah. on the other side, if you're not getting the job done and you've got really high retention, then you're mm -hmm. like, oh, okay, we're yeah. doing something wrong here. People are literally taking a paycheck, going home. And, and maybe it's just that you need an influx of youth, which you're probably coming across a lot, where mm -hmm. um, we did a, a podcast on generational differences and, and mm -hmm. basically how to deal with millennials and Gen Xers mm -hmm. and Gen Z. And, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. yeah. and it's crazy now that in 2020 – we literally have a generation of people that are adults that have never known the world without the internet. Mm -hmm. And we're all lucky. I'm assuming you're about our age. I'm 38. Ben's 32. <laughs> well, I'm flattered because I'm 49. So okay, you don't, you don't look it. Um, but you and I grew up completely analog, right? So I was, mm -hmm. I was an adult before cell phones and, and all of mm -hmm. that was prevalent. Um, mm -hmm. And now we're at a point where people can't function without it. People are sitting at their desks and Simon Sinek does a talk on this mm -hmm. with their cell phones there and they're going like this as yeah, they're typing, yeah. and they're going between their phone. And so you've got that. Mm -hmm. And then just from a generational understanding standpoint, a lot of Gen Xers, older Gen Xers and even baby boomers, mm -hmm. they ostracize the, uh, the younger generation because they're, they're very different, but they're not mm -hmm. willing to find what will give your, uh, your company a, a plug here. They're not willing to find any kind of symbiotic relationship. It's like, hey, let's mm -hmm. look at commonalities and meet there as opposed to focusing on our differences. So how do you deal with generational differences when you come into a company and go, oh shit, 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's, there's a problem here. Yeah, uh, I, I got certified in teaching a whole thing around this many years ago. So I, that's been a tool, my toolkit for a long time. And, and the thing I want people to understand is we're all products of the environment we grew up in. And so the reason why people have the value systems and beliefs and ways they behave is because that's what they grew up with and that's all they know. And just like personality differences, I do a lot of work on that too, is there are values and there's strengths to each approach and there are opportunities for improvement. And what you've got to try to do is understand what are the, what's the value that, that their differences are bringing and how can that uh, work around the weaknesses of each other? And so, um, it's really just helping people understand more about each other and how they prefer to approach life and work and accommodating that. And if you want to retain, you started that by talking about retention and turnover. If you want to retain talented people of any age group, they have to see their own values reflected in your company's inner working. So you can't just be all focused on millennials because then you're only going to retain millennials and you can't only cater to boomers because then all your millennials are going to leave. So you have to understand how do we create an environment that, that everyone sees a little bit of themselves in? Um, and again, I think that goes back to finding shared values and a shared purpose and uh, shared end goals and tapping into people's autonomy. So they begin to work together towards something versus being frustrated by their differences. Yeah. Uh, that's, the, that's the short answer. Yeah. So who, who do you look to for, let's say inspiration and guidance are you assigning oh. seth godin kind of guy or are you getting who's who are your leadership yeah. gurus oh great um my number one uh favorite person is patrick lencioni or lencioni mm-hmm. uh he's written five dysfunctions of a team the advantage uh death by meeting <laughs> silos politics and turf wars I, he's a regular the, the five entree leadership i listen to the entree leadership podcast and he's always on there they're always quoting him Nice. So, so I would say my Bible for this kind of work is the five dysfunctions of a team. It's so exactly right. It's every single team I've ever come across. Every group of people is like liable to fall victim to all five of those dysfunctions and the solutions for all of them work. And I, I never work with a team without introducing that. And, but I don't, again, it's not academic. It's not, Hey, here it is. Okay, let's move on. It's, now let's really dive into these and see where you're at with these and overcome each of these. Um, so him and then um, old school is Jim Collins. Uh, he wrote Good to Great. Um, he, and that's when everybody knows. Well, he wrote one prior to that called, um, oh boy, uh, this is going way back. Uh, what was it called? It was Good to Great. And I can't believe I'm forgetting the name of the book. Um, <laughs> It'll come to me in a minute. But anyway, I'll just to answer your question, Jim Collins, uh, a lot of great stuff there. Certainly Simon Sinek, love him, his stuff. He's spot on with a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, those are probably my top three. Built to last? Yeah, that's it. That's 100% it. Yes, thank you. I, I Googled it. Don't get too excited. So, so what they did in Built to Last, yeah, uh, is they studied the most successful organizations in history, organizations that have been at the top of their markets for decades, and compared them to their competitors who weren't. And they were trying to distill what did that elite few group of organizations do that no one else had figured out. And they found the commonalities. And that really what gave birth to my whole Guiding Star analogy. Those organizations... Um, 
understand that it's more important. This is his quote. It's more important to know who you are than where you're going because where you're going will change as the world changes around you. So the who you are is the guiding star. Where you're going is the different hills you're climbing. So you're mm -hmm. constantly dealing with change. But when you know who you are, you have that guiding star, you're always following and pursuing it. That's what creates trust. So it's not just trust with employees, it's trust with, with customers as well. So when you, when you put on your website, here's our values and here's our purpose. You know, when, when ALS the Architect says, we bring our client stories to life, you've now created an expectation, not only in your employees, but any customer who comes to you, if they don't have that experience, they're out. They're like, I don't trust you because you lied to me. If, on the other hand, their experiences are exactly what you promised, you are living your values and you are fulfilling your purpose, now they trust you and they're not going anywhere. And so back to Stephen's questions about turnover, yeah, you want to keep the right people. You want to keep the people who really do embody those values and are committed to that purpose every day, all day. And you want those who aren't to be identified and either self-select out or you got to get them out. Because if you don't, then your customers and fellow employees will get cynical and resentful and distrustful and they won't believe you. And we've never experienced higher levels of distrust in the world than we're having right now. There's an organization called Edelman. They're a big mm -hmm. PR marketing firm and they've been studying trends of trust across the globe for the past 40 years. And over the last uh, probably decade, the whole globe has shifted to distrusting. So in the past, people would trust you until you proved otherwise. So companies could say whatever they wanted and you're like, oh, I'll take your word for it. Now yeah. people's default mode is, I don't trust you. I don't trust you if you're a business, someone I just met, a politician, whatever, until you prove to me that I can trust you. So we have to always actively work to build trust, not assume we have it. And, and, and so what I do is, I, what I, the end result of my work with companies is I say, you will achieve organizational authenticity. You will be who you say you are and people will trust you. And that's more important than anything now. That, that's the new currency is trust. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Especially, again, talking generationally, um, mm -hmm. you know, you have, how many companies do well simply because they align themselves with specific causes? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're, mm -hmm. they're, they're responsible socially mm -hmm. as well as profitable. And it, it could be Apple, Nike, Google, Facebook. They're all trying mm -hmm. to align themselves. And mm -hmm. you, you want to hope it's not just for profit. You want to hope that it's, there's that bigger purpose throughout the organization. But even if it is just for profit, obviously the trickle down of that is very positive, right? Mm -hmm. so I, I always like to pick faults at the cynics of that. And it's like, yeah, you can be cynical about that, but look how much good comes out of it. So really mm -hmm. your cynicism isn't warranted. Um, I did want to jump in. I'm looking at your LinkedIn right now. Um, mm. I've got the iPad in front of me in case you're wondering. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so leadership and organization development manager at Numerica. Mm. Now, I would say Numerica is one of the more forward thinking mm -hmm. um, financial institutions uh, mm -hmm. locally, with the exception of uh, doing away with drive throughs because I guess that's <laughs> through this, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> they do only drive throughs I think there's only uh, two branches that have drive throughs right? Um, yeah. So that that made me giggle when when uh, COVID started, and it's like, oh, we have to close have to close lobbies, but wait, we don't have drive throughs anymore. Um, 
I mean, obviously it was, it's forward thinking, right? Um, mm -hmm. So what does that job title entail? And mm -hmm. what do you specifically do for them? Is it basically just what you do on a consultancy basis, but part-time for the company? 100%. Yeah. So here's that story. So, um, so I started at Gonzaga, I told you. And while I was there, I started this business. And then my business got to the point where I couldn't hold down a full-time job at Gonzaga and, and my business. So Gonzaga was like, you know, you, you kind of have to come here every once in a while. And, and I, I said, well, I, I, you know, my dream is this, this business. And so I was sort of left with, do I let my business atrophy and stay at Gonzaga or go off on my own? And so I was ready to go off on my own. And it was the weirdest thing. I get a call from Numerica and they had been a client for a while, been working with the board and the senior leadership team and doing their all company retreats. And they said, would you come work for us? And I was like, huh, um, yeah, but part-time because I, I can't give you full-time. Um, so it was this amazing uh, symbiotic relationship because <laughs> I so believed in who they are that you know I, I go around creating, helping others create their tribes, mm -hmm. but I need my own tribe. Numerica yeah. is my tribe. And without it, I wouldn't have my own tribe. And so that's, those are my people, you know, I, I'm so at home there and I'm so grateful to be there. So yeah, um, basically I'm, I started out as kind of being like an internal consultant there. So I do um, leadership and organization development. Um, I do coaching uh, and I'm basically a, a consultant. So any team branch or department can bring me in to work with their teams and departments um, and, and help them in whatever ways they need. So and we now work with Danny. Danny, Danny who? Manny. Man. Oh, Manny. Man. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yep. man. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. This dude is a good um, man, too. Yeah. There's a lot of good people there, actually. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I, such good people. I, I feel like a terrible person compared to most of them. There's such good people. And um, since we're on this subject, I, I think the story of America will really help you guys understand what I do and how I do it. So they already had the Enhancing Lives, Fulfilling Dreams, Building Communities as their, their purpose. And what I discovered when I first got there was um, their values were muddled and unclear and people interpreted them differently. So one of the things I love about Numerica is I just went to the executive secretary and I said, can you get me on the, the agenda of the leadership team? And she's like, um, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and again, I had rapport with them because that's the team I'd spent most of my time working with. So one day I show up, they're like, Jason, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I, I wanted to point out something that I'm worried about. And I said, I, you know, I look at your, your values and guiding principles and I've talked to a lot of people and people interpret them differently. And I, and I said, that's a danger because we're not all behaving the same way. And what I would like to do is get really crystal clear on what those are. And I went through my whole thing. Give me, give me these 10 people. Yeah. I'll spend time with them and I'll ask them these questions. So I really want to, I want to brag on America and I want to tell you guys and your listeners an example of what your values can look and sound like. So it, it beautifully worked out when I, I got this group of people, they told me all these stories and the values or guiding principles worked out to be this beautiful acronym cares, numerica cares. And we call it the numerica experience. So you, the purpose is to enhance lives, fulfill dreams, build communities. That's why Numerica does what it does. How we deliver on that is through our, our guiding principles. So the C of cares is connect. So Stephen or Ben walks into a branch. My first job to give you the Numerica experience is I have to first connect with you. Who are you? What do you need? How can I help you? I got to make you feel warm, welcome, and invited. 
then the A of CARES is ask. Now I'm really going to do a deep dive and understand, well, what do you need and what are your financial goals or what do you want your business to accomplish? And I have to fully understand what you're trying to get. The R is resolve. I'm going to do that for you. I'm not done until I've done that for you. And it may not look exactly like what you asked for. You know, you may say, I need this loan because, and I'm like, well, I can't give you that loan, but I see what you're trying to do, Ben. So here's another route we can help you get there. So I'm not going to pass the buck. I'm going to resolve to get that done for you. The E of CARES is elevate. It's not a one-time transaction. I'm in this for the long haul. I'm always thinking about you and your business and your goals. And whenever I come across you, I'm trying to make things better for you, constantly improving it for you. And then the S is strengthen. And it's this Numerica's deep, clear, obvious committed to community, commitment to community. You see Numerica's name everywhere, right? We're, we're, we're sponsoring everything. We give you know, 5% or more of our earnings away every year. And, and even during COVID, uh, we honored all of our previous commitments to nonprofits and so forth because that's what we do. And Numerica show up in droves to all sorts of stuff. So that's the Numerica experience. And that's how we deliver on our purpose. And I'll tell one more rule. Well, I'll try to make this quick. Uh, when we first discovered that, I wanted people to experience the numeric experience. So we had an all-company retreat. And my argument is that a true numerican is one who prefers to give than to receive. And so the true numeric experience is providing it for others, not just receiving it. So we did this thing where we brought this company called Odyssey Teams in from California. And they, we, we built skateboards for kids. So the first 10 minutes, they're like, hey, you know, do some team building stuff. And then they're like, they, they get us in these little groups. And we were supposed to build skateboards for kids. And they're like, you're actually going to give these to a real kid. So think about what kids like and design a skateboard and paint it that's going to look in a way that kids are going to like. And then people get to work. We're like, okay, whatever. And then they said, you know, I think something's missing. Your, your, your customer is missing. And they bring out like 50 or so kids from the lowest income schools in Spokane. And they're all standing up there with a number and each table has a number. So if you're number eight, you see this kid up there with number eight, your job is to go greet that child, bring him to your table and give them the numeric experience. So connect with that child, really make them feel warm, welcome and invited. Ask, really get to understand what their interests are, what characters do they like, what's their favorite movie or whatever, and then resolve, make a board, a skateboard with them that has all that stuff on it. So if they like Thor, then you're going to make Thor on their skateboard, right? Uh, elevate. You're going to connect with that kid, let them know you care about them and so forth, and then strengthen. We're doing this to build a community. That kid has a life-changing experience where these five or six really nice adults just lavish them with attention, really got to know them, really connected with them, gave them this gift. And they left with a, a backpack full of food and you know a helmet and uh, knee pads and elbow pads and a skateboard that was tailored to their to them and there was a point where like everyone's pretty much crying in the room it, it was amazing and and my whole point in that is I wanted people to experience providing the numeric experience and know that every day all day that's what you got to do for everybody mm -hmm. colleagues and members alike and and I've told that story to people and and people who do business at numerica is like oh my god that's exactly what it's like every time I go to America. That's exactly the experience that I have. I'm like, yes. So that's my job in America <laughs> is, is to help make sure that that happens. Um, and I got to say, I'm part of an amazing team. I, 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 How many hours I, a week does that take you? What's part time? Uh, I work three days a week. 
okay, and so I usually work Monday through Wednesday there, and then all my private work is usually Thursdays and Fridays. But if I have a client that needs me on Monday or Tuesday, then I just switch that out and work a Thursday or Friday. And they're flexible with you. That's pretty cool. Yeah, That's yeah. awesome. So um, we can can leadership. We've learned that. I think a lot of people have learned that. You, there's no like one size fits all leadership box, right? Mm. There's certain there's there's common themes and, and values that run through good leaders, and the same for for poor leaders or, or what I would refer to as a manager, not a leader. Um, mm. But if you, what's the best business advice that you've gotten and you subsequently give? This is a question that Ben asked one of our guests a few weeks ago, and we got a fantastic mm. answer. So you can think on it if you wanna. But I'm ready. Just in closing, <laughs> let's go for it. Well, like, okay, here we go. <laughs> Well, um, one of my all-time favorite quotes is from Lao Tzu, and he's, I think, the founder of Taoism. So he's sixth-century Chinese Chinese philosopher, mm-hmm. and he said, "When the best leader's work is done, and the aim is fulfilled, the people all say we did it ourselves." And so I have this article I wrote, and and a video I've made for Numerica, and 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 the title is "The True Measure of a Leader's Success." And my opening line uh, is that if I'm leading a project and I take a group of people and I get them to execute on that project and then end result looks exactly like I had originally envisioned, I have failed. Because if I'm involving a group of people and I share them my vision, the end result should look better than anything I ever could have imagined because there's no way I have all the best ideas. There's no way... I'm best suited for every aspect of that project. There's no way that I know better than everybody else. So when I share my original vision, the images and ideas that pop up in your heads are going to be different than the ones that popped up in my head because you see things differently than I do. You have different strengths than I have. So I think leadership, I guess this will be my core answer to your question. I think facilitator is a better word. And so to be a good leader means you get people to want to um, bring some concept to life and then you drop back and you begin to facilitate healthy dialogue and debate and you get everybody's best ideas. Yeah. Now you don't, you can't take everybody's ideas. Ben and Steven go back and forth and back and forth on something. I can't take both of your ideas, but I damn well better make sure that Ben feels fully heard, listened to and validated. And so does Steven. And then I say, Ben, I really appreciate your idea, but now it's my time to make a decision. I'm going to side with Stephen, Stephen on this one. Mm-hmm. And, and then your job is to align. And there's this great uh, principle from Intel and, and their principle is it's called disagree and commit. And it means that while a decision's being made, anyone's allowed to disagree, but once a decision's been made, everyone needs to align. And in my experience, people are much more willing to align if they feel like their ideas were heard and listened to, and you can explain to them why you're not taking it. Um, and, and, and so anyway, you know, I've been facilitating discussions from, you know, full company, five-year strategic plans to small projects for teams. And invariably, the very best and most successful projects in the end are far better than any one person could have come up with, including the leader. And when that's done, that's the true measure of a leader's success is when you can do that and you can put your ego aside and, and recognize that good ideas can come from anybody. And yep. your job is to find the best idea and implement that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that to me is like 
And, and I've got a question that goes along that actually totally because it's an article I read uh, a few weeks ago and it kind of hit home. I was like that. I feel like that's true. So I'd be interested to know your thoughts on it because I feel a lot of the time leaders want to put their own spin on things almost mm. just validate themselves. It's like, here's a, here's an employee's idea and I have to make it just a little different or I have mm. to tweak it one way or another, you know, mm. cause I'm the leader and that's what I do. Right. Yeah. yeah. But, and it was uh, basically if, if an employee comes to you with an idea, you should almost not tweak the idea at all, but empower them to go and run with the idea themselves mm. and, and see it through instead mm. of going and putting your own thing. Cause when you, as the leader put your own in, insights, if you will, into it, or mm. your own little spin on the employee's plan of action or idea or marketing mm. strategy, or whatever it is, it's no longer their idea. So they mm. lose passion for the idea. Mm. It's a willpower to want to get it done and see it through. And so, mm -hmm. and it's almost, instead of putting your own input into it, you almost just kind of provide bumpers for folks to play with it. Yeah. Tell me how that would work. Okay. What would be the first step? Okay. How can I help you with that? Um, where do we go from here? Oh, this sounds great. Let's do that. That would be, that's the best approach. And you know, it's so funny. So many young leaders are trying to prove themselves and I certainly get why, but inevitably in organizations, the, the most successful leaders are the ones that measure their success by how many other leaders they create. And mm -hmm. so at the end of the day, if my team's really successful and it looks like my team did all the work, I'm still going to be, rewarded. So, yeah. so when I was at the, when I was at the factory, um, the reason I was successful is because honestly, I had no idea how to make auto parts. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And so, um, whenever we would have a problem or a challenge, I turned to my team who had been working there for 20 or 30 years. I'm like, here's an issue. What, what do we need to do about this? Yeah. And I would give them credit when I would go talk to my boss or a senior leadership. I, mean, I would say, Tony came up with this amazing idea and we tried it and it worked. And I had the other shift try it and it worked for them too. And so, um, truly when like we tackled a huge challenge, I won't tell the story because I keep telling too long stories, but I had this one <laughs> big challenge and, and we killed it. And literally I look back on it. None of the ideas were mine. Not, not yeah. one of the ideas were mine. All I did was pull ideas out of them and make them feel confident and comfortable and try stuff. And, and we blew it out of the water. Um, and that's what I'm always trying to get leaders to understand and help them do. Mm -hmm. love it. I love the concept of um, disagree, but then commit. Yeah. I wish we could teach that to society and politicians in general. Uh, Just, yeah. hey, you, you might not agree with what that person's saying, but they kind of won the vote. So you can, mm. you can yeah. bitch about it or you can be productive and be mm. part of the solution. So mm. now that we've voted to go in a certain direction, can you get in a room and I'm obviously talking bipartisan, like, can we agree? Mm. Like, instead of having all these hard lines drawn in the sand, because that's, that's the antithesis of leadership, right? What we mm -hmm. have now is, mm -hmm. and I'm talking on both sides. We've just There's a, uh, I'm not sure I told up. you this, Stephen. There, so I did a, a board training years ago with the Murdoch Foundation uh, mm -hmm. out of Vancouver, Portland area. And they brought us down there for one of the boards that I sit on. There's all the kind of leadership of the board. And we did two sessions, two different days. But some of the, one of, one of the big takeaways basically that I got was like, disagreement obviously is healthy and you need disagreement, but you need it within the boardroom. And as soon as you step outside of the boardroom, mm -hmm. you're mm -hmm. fighting whatever it is that you decided on. Because if you're mm -hmm. not, I'm talking about the dissension and cynicism that is created. Mm -hmm. If you're not unified and not everybody is driving towards that 
guiding star. I mean, you can mm-hmm. certainly get some massive issues, but yeah, it's such a true thing and permeates, I think, so many different areas, right? It's unified in respect for each other. What we're lacking mm-hmm. now is respect for each other, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't respect you, so I don't respect your opinion. I'm not going to go along with you. There's no unification. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, always, I often ask people when I'm speaking or presenting, how many of you are parents? And a lot of hands go up and I say, okay, what happens if, you know, two parents disagree on something? What are the kids going to do? They're going to go to the parent who's going to give them the answer they want. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, you know, my wife and I don't agree on everything. Um, my kids don't know that. So if we're arguing about something, we go behind closed doors. I, of course, lose the argument. Then we go out and we present a unified front <laughs> to our children and they don't, they can't pit us against each other. But in the event that they could, they would. Um, so it's a simple arguing, as, you know, you're going to lose every time, Jason. I wonder. <laughs> yes. what point you just be like, you know what, babe? Sure. It's a, a disagree and commit is a big part of my life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, commit her direction anyways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's so funny. Well, we're probably, we're at time. So yeah. we want to be respectful of your time, but uh, we should catch up once everything's back to normal here. Let Ben and I buy you a beer. That'd be uh, great. Or lunch. If yeah. You're not love that. yeah. <laughs> well, this was a true joy. I, I so appreciate it. I love what you guys are doing. Uh, I've been checking out some of your other podcasts and, uh, um, again, very flattered, very honored that you've invited me to be a part of it. And hope, hopefully you're, uh, you and your listeners enjoyed it. Thank you. No, I, I could talk for a long time on this. I always enjoy chatting with you, but yeah, again, long, but hopefully we can get a, get a lunch or a beer on the calendar once uh, things open up a little more. But in case Sounds fantastic. All right, so man. Appreciate you taking the time today, Jason. Everybody, please yeah. get online, review us, like us, follow us. And check out Symbio as well. It's an easy one yeah. to find. Uh, Jason Swain's easy to find on the LinkedIn. I've referred to it a few times. It's S-Y-M-B-I-O leadership, right? S-Y-M-B-I-O leadership.com is your URL. That's correct. Cool. Okay, so thank you. You can get on there and check you out. And we'll let you guys get off as well. So thanks for listening to us. Uh, Until the next time, be good to yourselves and to each other. Boom.